Welcome back to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark, and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. And I'm Hannah. I am also a Yale Admissions Officer. This is part one of a three-part series all about standardized testing. We are recording in February of 2024 with some exciting news to share about an update to Yale standardized testing policy. That policy is going to go into effect for first-year and transfer applicants applying to start at Yale in fall 2025 or later. Before we get into the specific details of Yale's new test flexible policy, which you can already find on our website, we want to start and just talk a little bit about the big picture. It can be really, really easy to get caught up in the specifics here of different tests. And with Yale's new policy, there's obviously some brand new information to share, but we think it's important to start with the big picture and to help you understand how colleges like Yale consider standardized tests generally. Our hope here is that this is going to be helpful for you if you are applying to any selective college that has a holistic admissions process. And that's going to be true whether that school is test optional, whether they are test flexible like Yale, or if they require the SAT or ACT of all applicants. Much of the advice we'll probably share with you today would have been pretty similar back before 2020 when we went to Mm. a test optional admissions policy. We've joked that this episode has been conspicuously absent from our show from the past four years. Yes, and that's because our policy on test scores has been up in the air. We really didn't want to say something on this podcast that we'd have to change later on. I was thinking about this. It's not exactly that it's been the elephant in the room. Mm. Like That's too big, and part of what we're going to say is like it's not that big, but yeah. it's Yale. Let's use our mascot. It's been like a, a cute bulldog, a bulldog in the room, room that we haven't <laughs> addressed for yes. four years now. So let's talk about the bulldog in the room. We've been waiting a really long time to talk about standardized tests on this podcast. We're finally here and we do have a lot of things to say. So this is why this is going to be a three-part series. Yes. After you listen to this episode and have a sense of the big picture, keep listening to part two, which is appropriately subtitled The Details. That's mm-hmm. going to cover Everything you need to know about Test Flexible, it will have our advice for deciding which scores to submit, and it's going to answer what we expect will be some frequently asked questions about our new policy. And then we're going to get into part three, which is just going to cover the kind of long and winding road that took Yale from requiring the SAT or the ACT of all applicants to being test optional between 2020 and 2024, to finally adopting this new Test Flexible policy. That episode is subtitled How We Got Here. Yeah, if you are interested in the behind the scenes experience of navigating admissions policy during the pandemic, and if you want to get a better sense of the research that helped convince us to update our policy, check out that one. And finally, I have to say, we're going to give you a short bonus episode episode. as well. (laughs) That's because as we've been thinking about standardized tests, I came up with this elaborate baseball related analogy. It didn't really kind of fit into any of our other episodes, so we made it its own little mini episode at the end. Yeah. And if you're, you have no interest in baseball, you don't need to listen to that <laughs> episode. I mean, it is a great metaphor, but this episode and the next one will give you everything you need to know and doesn't require any sports knowledge at all. Yeah. And of everything that we are recording, we think this first one is going to be the most important. Yes. We're excited for this one because we think testing is one of the most misunderstood elements of the admissions process. Yes. Let's start things off with our special guest, Dean of Undergraduate Admissions and Financial Aid, Jeremiah Quinlan. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us, Jeremiah. I think we want to start with some big picture questions for you. Can you tell us about your opinion on standardized tests generally? Sure. Standardized tests 
are particularly helpful as an admissions reader is asking the sort of primary question, can the student do the work on our campus? And used together with transcripts, testing can really help establish an academic foundation for a case. This is a question we ask for every single application when we open it up. Can the student do the work? And the reality is for most applicants to Yale, the answer to that question is yes. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. kind of is an opening question. And then we quickly move on to all the other available information, all of the other pieces of the whole person review process that you two have detailed in incredible <laughs> uh, clarity over the course of your podcasts. So Jeremiah, we know that applicants can have a lot of anxiety around test scores. And you know as well as we do that people ask a lot of questions about testing. We're going to get into some of the most common myths and misperceptions mm. about testing later in this episode, but wanted to just tee things off with you. What's your advice for students as they are thinking about the college application process and considering how their test scores are going to fit into that whole picture? I think this is a great question and I understand the anxiety out there around standardized testing. So the first thing I would say is that students should not let their results on these exams define them or mm -hmm. their college search. You are so much more than your test score. You are so much more than your application to Yale. Mm -hmm. There is uh, a lot of ways for students to highlight incredible success in high school and then in college that go well beyond the college application process. But testing can be helpful to orient students and counselors and schools to a college list that has the right level of selectivity and then also help you understand what type of institution might be able to provide you with the right amount of academic support mm -hmm. or the right type of academic program. Students should prepare for these tests. They are going to be considered in your application process. And there are incredible free resources that can help students from all backgrounds score higher and feel more comfortable on their testing day. Mm -hmm. Khan Academy in particular has worked very closely with the College Board to develop a what I consider an incredible suite of resources for students to use. And the College Board has data that engaging in those Khan Academy resources does improve students' test scores. You do not need to spend lots of money on expensive tests prep mm -hmm. to improve your score when these free resources are available. And the expensive test prep itself is not going to necessarily change your college outcomes. Yeah. The last thing I would say about testing that I think is really important is when we're answering the question of whether or not a student is prepared to do the work at Yale, there is a broad range of scores that answers that question mm. in the affirmative for us. And as we will go into a lot over the next three episodes, there is no cut score. There is no rubric that says yes or no on one side of the line. So don't get caught up or too stressed in the small differences and score or in the minutia of one test versus another. You as an applicant know your strengths. You know what you want to share with the admissions committee and Mark and Hannah and all the other wonderful application readers here. So you are in the best position to decide what is the way to put your best foot forward with testing. And I know we'll in later in episodes, we're going to get into the question of, well, how do I decide how to meet this test flexible requirement? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about this new policy is it does provide students a variety of options to showcase their strengths in the application process. You know in your gut what is the best way to showcase that because you're the person who's working really hard to put together this college application. So trust yourself when you're making that decision. 
Let's get into that a little more deeply. So you've said that, you know, there are no there are no cutoffs and small differences aren't necessarily going to make a big difference in an admissions decision. So can you talk a little bit more about how we do use these tests in the application review process? For sure. So when an application reader opens up the file, they're literally presented immediately with the student's transcript, Mm -hmm. their standardized testing, as well as a dashboard of lots of contextual information about the student and the school. So essentially, your job is to answer the question, is the student academically prepared to be successful at Yale? And you have the immediate answer to that question in connecting the contextual variables of the applicant with the transcript that the person is able to see. And we look at the full transcript. We don't boil down the GPA. We don't try to create a different type of academic score. We see all four years of high school grades. And then we also see the testing. And we can combine all of those things to determine whether or not a student is going to be competitive in our applicant pool. We incorporate context in every single one of these application file reviews. It is mm-hmm. the cornerstone of the work that we do. One thing I think I want students to understand is that we are using this to sort of answer this primary question about academic preparation. I have never been in an admissions committee room in the last 20 years where someone has said, look at this beautiful set of AP scores. We must admit the students because <laughs> they have right. a perfect SAT. The truly compelling and difference-making parts of the application are found elsewhere in all of the other elements of the file. But the testing is just the starting point for us to establish an academic baseline for preparation and success. And we do care about it, but more is not always better. If you are able to present to us standardized tests that tell us that you are prepared to do the work at Yale, then we are going to move on to all of the other parts of the application file to make these decisions. And we have no reservations in admitting students from the exact same school group with lower testing if all the other parts of their application file are compelling and Mm. interesting and we really feel like they're the student who's going to contribute the most to our community. Again, the testing is a simple kind of binary question at the onset of the application review. And once we get through that yes, no, we move right into all the other parts of the application file. That's a great way to start us off, Jeremiah. Thanks for those insights. We're going to get into several of those points a little bit more in depth in this episode. And Jeremiah, we'll look forward to having you back on and our third episode about how we got here. I am really looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, Jeremiah. We hope that starts to paint a picture of how this all comes together in our process. Now we want to spend some time addressing some of the most common misperceptions or myths about testing and our process. Yeah, let's make this another Mythbusters exercise. We love those. Our favorite. (laughs) Go back, folks, and listen if you haven't to our other Mythbusters episode. They're, They're some of the most fun that we've recorded. Okay, so the most common misperception is simply to overestimate how much test scores and especially small differences in test scores matter in our process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the amount of energy that people spend fretting about test scores, asking us really specific questions about elements of testing policy, and even just trying to improve their scores is, we think, disproportionate to their actual role in our process. I would say this is especially the case when applicants receive very strong scores the first time they test, but then they become fixated on getting even higher scores to try to reach that perfect 36 or 1600. This impulse makes perfect sense, especially in the context of our holistic and contextual admissions process. The nature of our process is such that we're considering lots of factors in every application, most of which aren't standardized and most of which aren't quantitative. Mm -hmm. 
And we know our process is also by nature opaque. You don't get to be in the committee room when we're talking about your application or thousands of others. There's just no way that you're going to know what we're talking about. So amidst all that uncertainty, a standardized test feels like the one thing you can really latch onto. Mm-hmm. And people all over the world are drawn to these like moths to a flame. It's so irresistible. Absolutely. And, you know, it's worth acknowledging in most other countries, your performance on one or more standardized tests will probably be the sole determinant or pretty close to that of where you're going to go to college. Yes. And it's also true across many other U.S. colleges, including some selective ones, that they rely on a pretty uniform application rubric in which test scores play a pretty big part. Yeah. But not at Yale. Nope. And that's what makes our job so interesting. We have not outsourced our work to the ACT or the College Board. But we also know that it's what makes the process frustrating and seem so secretive to you all. Yeah, it's a little like the old saying, um, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Hmm. I think what we see here is when the only thing that you can see with clarity is a test score, everything looks like a test score. Basically, we find that people focus their energy in the wrong areas Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So our first big piece of advice around testing is to focus the lion's share of your energy on putting your best foot forward through your high school transcript, your extracurricular activities, and your written responses on the application. Those pieces of the application, not standardized test scores, are what makes students stand out in our process. Yeah, let me make a quick plug for another podcast episode called What Stands Out?, Give that a listen and notice that test scores are not mentioned in that episode at all. No matter what our testing policy is, we probably receive more questions about standardized Mm -hmm. tests than any other topic and makes sense for all the reasons we've just discussed. But it's always a little frustrating because they aren't the most important part of an application. And we would much rather talk about the other parts where you truly can stand out. And we feel like we probably have a lot more helpful advice for those other parts of the application, too. Yes. You know, the next big misperception is that there are certain scores that get you in and certain scores that keep you out. And connected to this is the idea that there's some breakpoint on every exam. And if you score above that number, it's good. And if it's below, it's bad. And the first way that we want to bust this myth Mm -hmm. is to help you understand that we consider scores in terms of ranges. Mm -hmm. This is what the testing services tell colleges to do, and it's what we do. It's tempting to say, hey, a 740, that's higher than a 730 and a 720. That's better. That's going to make a difference. But the statisticians who design the test will tell you that those are actually really functionally the same, and we treat them the same in our process. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons we don't mess around with translating scores across different exams, trying to generate some index to inform our selection process. Small differences in scores simply aren't big differences in our process. Okay, the next element of this is that it's just wrong to think that a perfect score is going to rocket you to the top of our pool. Right. Or, on the flip side, that a score that's below our median range is going to make it impossible to get in. We see lots of perfect or nearly perfect scores among our applicants. Even if we just said you need a 36 ACT or a 1600 SAT to get into Yale, we'd have too many applicants for our first year class. And we think that it would be really short-sighted to do something like that or even to look at applicants with scores above a certain number only. Right. We don't set minimum thresholds for a reason. We think that would be outsourcing our jobs again to the testing agencies. I will say one of the most fascinating experiences you can have as an admissions officer is to see how different and 
Truthfully, how relatively weak or relatively strong two applicants with the same very strong test scores can be. I find that this phenomenon is kind of easiest to see when reviewing lots of applications from a very selective magnet school. These are the kinds of schools where students have to perform well on tests to even get into that high school in the first place. So mm. kind of by definition, the applications from those schools all have really strong test scores. But there are still tons of differences among those students, and some of their applications are just much more compelling than others. It's not just because some are more interesting than others. We see students with the same scores in the same schools who will have very different transcripts. They'll have very different commitments outside of school, different talents, really different sorts of academic curiosity and fit for Yale. The list goes on and on. So when Hannah or I or any other admissions officer reads an application and we see a high test score, the first thing we sort of say is going to be, okay, what else? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not that we've ignored that score, but you know, on its own, it hasn't revealed a whole lot to us at all. Yeah, we see lots of perfect scores. We also see lots of lower scores, or at least scores that are below our median ranges. It's probably worth sharing what those median ranges are now. So this is where the 25th percentile and the 75th percentile of incoming students scored. For us, that was between a 33 and a 35 on the ACT, and between a 720 and 800 on each SAT section. Scores that fall below that 25th percentile can still really help an applicant. This is one big reason why we are going back to requiring test scores. And you already know one reason why. It's because we evaluate scores in terms of ranges. So a 32 isn't really materially different than a 33. A 710 isn't really different from a 720. The other big reason is something we love to talk about, context. Mm -hmm. Simply put, the same score can mean two very different things in two very different contexts. So a high score in a school like the one Mark was just talking about doesn't really stand out that much. That's not to say it's meaningless in an application, but it's not telling us something new. From the second we opened that application, we knew that we were looking at a student who is academically well-prepared and is a strong test taker. Otherwise, they wouldn't be graduating from that kind of high school. But contrast that with a high school where most students don't enroll in college and where most students might not even take an AP or IB or even an SAT or an ACT exam. So a score that's below our median, but well above what's typical for that high school, tells the admissions officer something new. And thankfully, we have access to some really comprehensive and accurate data on every high school in the U.S. thanks to a college board tool called Landscape. And let's go ahead and clarify, it is not the case that we are somehow handicapping scores based on context. It's simply, as Hannah just said, that the score itself can have a different meaning and indicate something different about the applicant in different contexts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the last reason why low scores can still help an applicant is simply that we know you don't need perfect scores to do well at Yale. We've enrolled thousands of students with scores below what many people would probably think you need to get into a place like Yale. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, most of those scores aren't far, far below those ranges. Mm -hmm. But a score doesn't need to be a 33 or a 720 to still be considered strong in our review process. Mm -hmm. All right. So one example of this, um, I had the experience this year of being in a committee where the strongest application we were looking at that received the tip top ratings from both of the admissions officers who reviewed it had an ACT composite score of 30. This is below the median. 
that wasn't any kind of stumbling block. Mm. It wasn't something we had to like grapple with. No one paused the committee and said, wait a minute, like, are we concerned about this? It was simply very clear Mm -hmm. that this student had plenty of academic strength. We did not admit the student despite that test score. That score was really strong in context, and Mm -hmm. we had lots of other information uh, in the file to go along with it. That score absolutely helped that student. The final misperception that we want to talk about is that test scores either make you a strong or weak applicant on their own, Mm -hmm. or more generally, that a strong score means you are a super amazing high school student. I think this is another reason that people are drawn to the test. They appear to reduce all the complexity of the admissions process and your whole life as a Mm -hmm. high school student down to one number. Sorry, folks. Um, (laughs) That's not what tests are for. That's not what tests are for for you. And it's not what tests are for for us. Standardized tests like the SAT or the ACT, they've been designed for a much simpler purpose. Their purpose is to predict your academic performance in college, especially in your first year. Yale's done a lot of research on our own applicant and enrolled student data, and we have found consistently that this is true. Not only is it true, but in our pool, test scores are the single largest predictor of a student's academic performance at Yale, and this is true over all four years. And it's true even when we control for every other available variable that we can. Yeah, to be clear, they don't perfectly predict your Yale GPA. Every model that we produce shows that a whole lot of the variance in Yale's GPA isn't explained by any one variable we can put in the model. But of the things we have available in the application, standardized tests are better than anything else in answering that question. Are you likely to do well in Yale's classes? That question, are you likely to do well in Yale classes, is, of course, different from all sorts of other questions we have, yes, right? Yes, we have so many questions. <laughs> we want to know, will the student make a meaningful contribution to various communities around campus? And will the student take advantage of Yale resources? Are they likely to do well in research settings? Will they be a thoughtful roommate? Are they curious? Will they want to explore a wide range of disciplines? Those questions are all really important to our process mm-hmm. too. And test scores, they don't tell us much about those. Yeah, we think our foundational responsibility as a selection committee is to enroll students who are well prepared. If we fail at that, it's the students who's going to suffer, and it's important that we do no harm. Final note on this. Um, We'll mention that if you look at national studies on what predicts college academic performance, you will generally find that in that research, high school grades are the biggest predictor of college grades, then followed by test scores. And that there's some debate among researchers about kind of how much more predictive power you get when you add test scores on top of GPA. Yale's internal data is different on this. We find that in our process, test scores are the single greatest predictor ahead of high school grades. But remember, because both are predictive, we always consider them together. Mm-hmm. We'll also mention that we have done the research on subject exams like AP and IB, and we can find that those are predictive like the SAT or the ACT. That's the big reason why our testing policy is now flexible and allowing applicants to submit those exams in lieu of the SAT or the ACT. It is super easy to get bogged down in all of this data and to start arguing about p-values and regression coefficients, mm-hmm. which we're not going to do today. Um, not. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's not what our selection process looks like at all. Admissions is all about people. Real people apply, real people make the admissions decisions. Two important reminders to close us out. First, remember that you are not your test scores. You are much more interesting. You are complicated. You're dynamic. You have so much more to add to a college campus than just the test score that's there. 
The second piece is that a real person is always going to be on the other end of those test scores and everything else in your process. Try to give yourself some time to take a deep breath and just remember that this is not going to be some scary sort of computer algorithm that unweights your GPA and multiplies it by your highest AP score and divides mm. it by your social security <laughs> number to tell you know us whether to admit you um, or not. We're real people. We like our jobs and we like evaluating applications. Now that you understand how we work with test scores, keep listening to part two, the details to hear about how Yale's new test flexible policy is going to work and how you can put your best foot forward with the scores you have available. And for a quick history lesson of the past four years and a deep dive into the research that led Yale to adopt our test flexible policy, listen to part three, how we got here. And then finally, one last <laughs> plug for an elaborate metaphor for testing that involves something called a knuckleball uh, that we put in our bonus episode. Okay, Hannah, I know I'm tired after part one. Maybe we should advise our listeners to take a little snack break before they hit up parts two or three. Yes, definitely. Or maybe a little musical interlude or something. Excellent. Yes, that's our advice. We will see you back on episodes two and three. But for now, thanks to our friend and former admissions officer, Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for an episode, drop us a line at yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.